0: Listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, sex and relationship advice you can use tonight.
1: Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I am Jess O'Reilly, your friendly neighborhood sexologist, here with a big thanks to Desire Resorts. Check them out at Desire Resorts on Instagram and on all social media. And check out my event calendar because I am heading down to the Mayan Riviera with Desire Resorts, along with my sidekick, Brandon, in October. But today, we are talking about relationships and what we can learn from celebrity love lives. Are on and off again relationships healthy? Why do cheaters keep getting married if they're just going to cheat again? And how does professional success relate to relationship success? And if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about work wives and work husbands. Joining me to dissect celebrity relationships and provide insight that can help you, because you're a celebrity in your own right, Joining me are Ebony Harris, Licensed Relationship Therapist, and Elisa Boquin, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. They are the co-founders of Melanin and Mental Health. They are rocking it on Instagram, online with their courses, doing their thing in therapy. Hello. How's it going?
2: Hi.
1: Oh, Hi. are so excited you. to be here. Oh, great. Now, <laughs> where are you today? Where are you both?
0: We are in Houston Well we're in Houston. Yeah. I'm in the office. (laughs) (laughs) And the other home office today.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, let's dive right in. Let's talk on and off again relationships. So the ones where you keep going back. We see our friends struggling with the same partner year after year, and you think it's finally over, and then they go back. And we see Celebrities doing the same thing. We've got the Hadid sisters, infamous for their on and off again relationships. I think Gigi Hadid and Zayn Malik, am I saying that right, are always getting back together. Uh, Bella Hadid just got back together with The Weeknd. What's with these on again, off again relationships and are they going to work out? We'll start with Ebony. Um,
3: <laughs> the, the last question is probably a little harder, right? Are they going to work out? Uh, history... probably not. But (laughs) the I think the issue, or not even the issue, but the reason why people tend to continue to go back with exes is that level of comfort. It is difficult sometimes to start a new relationship and feel like you're starting from scratch. And it's a lot easier when you are engaging in relationships with people that already know you, that know your quirks, that know your family, that you already have some sort of attachment with. Um, And there is Fear in that will the next situation be better or worse and at least I know what this relationship is about and I can know what to expect with this as opposed to the unknown of a new relationship
1: well that motivation fear as a motivation doesn't sound particularly healthy to me Aliza, what do you think
2: yeah. And and I think more than anything, it's kind of what Ebony said, you know, we're creatures of habit, right? And our brains recognize patterns. And so we get back into it. And I think part of that getting back into it's coupled with that new relationship feel, those butterflies. And, you know, we kind of forget why we broke up in the first place. And I think part of that Fear is us really just wanting to make things right, and so sometimes we have this idea that if we just work a lot harder, doing the same stuff we used to do, unfortunately, that we're going to have different mm-hmm. results. And you know, we we know that if you do more of the same, you're going to have more of the same. But it just seems a lot easier to do more of what I know than to try and venture off, like Ebony said, and try something that I don't know.
1: That's such a good point that that. We're it appeals to us because we get the butterflies of something new, but Mm -hmm. we get the security of something old. So, how do we break that pattern?
0: (laughs) Ooh,
2: how do we break that pattern? I think you know, I'm I'm a big believer that people can change, but you have to want it. And I think sometimes, how do we break that pattern? It's it's if we don't get to that breaking point ourselves, where we just say. It's painful enough. This is, this is enough pain or this, this, I can no longer tolerate this pain. Then I think one or both people finally have to get to that point where it's just, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's unbearable. And so I have to find other ways of, of just moving through the world than to do kind of what I do, what I do. And, and I don't know that everybody gets to that point where you want to try something different.
1: So do you have to hit rock bottom though? Because you don't want to get to a point that the pain is so bad that it's unbearable. Is there anything we can do to remind ourselves? Is there a way to check in? Is there a way to get support from a friend? So that, you know, we don't want to waste six months, 12 months, 24 months of our lives in a relationship that hurts. Mm -hmm.
3: I think there is a, part of it is that failure piece. When relationships don't work, we feel like we failed at something. And so we Mm -hmm. want to, in you to work on it and and try to make it better and what can I do differently so part of it is taking a break from that relationship to heal yourself and to work on yourself and to get yourself in a better space and then maybe not thinking of thinking of the relationship as being completely done but just let me get to a better space and then let's see if it still fits most of the time it won't. But, you know, if you focus on yourself first and focus on getting yourself to a better space where you're able to recognize bad patterns, where you're able to recognize your input into the relationship as to what was causing issues, then you can go back and reevaluate and see, okay, now that I'm healed, now that I'm better, does this still fit for me? And it it probably won't at that point.
1: Oh, I I love that approach. I also, you said something else. Breaking up isn't a failure. I think we need to rewrite Mm -hmm. that script because a breakup can be something wonderful.
3: Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Now, I mean you must have friends and everybody listening. You have a friend who is in this scenario who keeps doing this. And maybe your friend is Bella Hadid, or maybe your (laughs) friend in which case you should be be out shopping with her instead of listening to us. (laughs) I would punch.
0: I would just be staring
1: at her. She's so pretty to look at. But Mm -hmm. what do we do with that thick skull? Like, how do we support a friend? Because you don't want to be the one bashing the ex, Mm -hmm. especially because they're going to hate that person for three months until they go back to them. How do you Mm -hmm. help a friend to break this behavior if they want to? I know you can't make them do anything they don't want to do.
2: If they want to. If they want to, I think coming from a place of just, compassion and non-judgment because it may be you know Ebony and I talk about this all the time I would be the type of friend who processes out loud and so (laughs) some of what they're doing with you may just be them processing what they're going through and and if they're the ones that are motivated they're wanting to change and they just kind of want you to to be on this kind of journey with them and and just being that, that compassion for them. I think that's what you can do. Um, and then when they're asking you for help, like, you know, maybe gently pointing out some things that they might not be seeing. But I think the big piece is to be nonjudgmental, to be compassionate um, towards them. And then also remember to do self-care for you, you know, because it can be draining to have a friend who is just going through the same things over and over and over again. And so being aware of when the limit for you has been reached.
1: Right. Cause I think that I might have a very small cup for that limit. What if you're just sick of it? What if you've yeah. watched your friends suffer for years in the same space with the same story, um, and you're tired. Do you have a responsibility? Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that you're saying move from a place of compassion. I think that's so important in everything we do. But what do you, what do, you do when you're fed up?
3: <laughs> you, yeah. it, it is always okay for you to take care of you. And so mm-hmm. you can set boundaries with friends where there may have to be a discussion of like, you know, I want to spend time with you. I love you. And I want what's best for you. But I personally cannot take hearing about you being hurt all the time, because that hurts me as your friend. Um, Mm. I think it's a good thing to kind of reflect back things that they may have said, their thoughts and feelings that they have had in the past and just, figuring out, is it different this time? You know, these are some things you were concerned about before. Is it different this time? But there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I would like to limit our discussions about this because whatever you do, I'm going to support and love you. But that doesn't mean I want to be involved emotionally because when, you know, when things happen to your friends, you do get involved, involved emotionally. You do care about them and, and how they are living their life and are they making the best decisions. So it's okay to set a boundary there.
1: Right, and that, right. that I think that's so key. important for you. Sorry, mm-hmm. you go ahead. Oh, no,
2: I was just going to say, I think, you know, Ebony shows a great way of how you can be compassionate and set your boundaries and take care of yourself, you know, because I think sometimes we think setting boundaries with people means we have to be harsh, and it doesn't.
1: Right. Yeah, I love the way you put it. I actually just want to record it and hit play. (laughs) (laughs) why doesn't that sound like you Jess it's (laughs) auto-tune that's my auto-tune I I really like the way you put that and the setting of boundaries can be such a challenge with friends I think that a lot of us well I'll speak for myself I'm really good at setting boundaries with my partner Mm -hmm. but with friends, it can be a challenge. Like, you're both therapists, so you're in the helping space. Um, do you run into that where an old friend calls you for a drink, but really they're trying to use you for a friend friend to pee session? Oh, definitely.
3: <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my friends definitely, um, you know, are trying to find a way to not have the paper therapy, uh,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> which is fun. Yep. But I think um, I, I do I do set boundaries with them. And especially, I'm thinking, one, with relationships, but even sometimes with those negative thoughts that they have about themselves that they might say out loud. I'm very big about, don't talk about my friend like that. You know, um, oh. I don't know treat it like that, you know, because that's truly how I feel. So if someone else outside of you was treating you this way or talking about you this way, I would have something to say. So when you talk about yourself this way, I say the same thing. So, um, but definitely friends call and want... To talk it off, but the the thing is with my friends, and I think I have set good boundaries that it is reciprocal. We do talk to each other. Um, although, yes, I do feel like sometimes they get a little extra from me because I am a therapist.
1: <laughs> That's so smart to say don't talk about my friend that way because a friend who bashes themselves is really draining, especially when you really mm-hmm. like yourself. Like, I like myself, right. <laughs> um, and I can be hard <laughs> on myself, but mm-hmm. – I don't walk around like complaining about my body or complaining about my life. And when you have a friend like that, that's such a great line. I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting the therapy. <laughs> you send me your bill. <laughs> that's a, that's a thing for people in our field. I'm sure for a lot of people listening, because I know a lot of sex experts listen as well that we, we have to set those boundaries. So when someone right. oversteps, what, what do you do? It's different with a friend where you're, where, as you said, it's reciprocal. And flows both ways, but when it's you know somebody who you think just wants to have a drink with you, but really wants to unload, uh, do you stop and say like, oh, you know, I have the name of a great therapist, or how do you how do you shut that down?
2: Yeah, I I I, I've, I think that's one of the things that I love most about about our profession. As you know, a formal people pleaser is that I learned real quick within our profession, you have to have really good boundaries in order to be able to do really good work and so I feel like it has given me the ability to to practice that in my real life and so I've just learned to just be very unapologetic in a very loving way because I think you can still be both but um to really just say you know like like you said um You know, I can't be your therapist. I'll just tell people that, you know, oh, you know, they're like, well, I don't want to go to a therapist. I just want to talk to you. Well, I can't be a therapist. I can't be your therapist because I'm too close. You know, and I and I will break it down for them, like about why it doesn't benefit them for me to be their therapist. But I'm your friend, and so I can be your friend today. And and so I'll have that conversation. I'll let them know, you know, I'll give them the name of really good therapists that
1: I
0: know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's my mo too. I'm like, well, I have a yes. member of a therapist. Oh yeah, okay. So sorry, I got us off topic because I, I like talking to you, ladies. Uh, <laughs> if we go back to our celebrity live. <laughs> uh, I was mm-hmm. thinking we could also talk about celebrity cheaters. Mm-hmm. So, chloe Kardashian and her partner Tristan, for example, they're still together. He's cheated a whole bunch of times. And of course, people are judging her for staying mm-hmm. as opposed to judging him. Uh, that's a gender issue. Right, right. But, but in terms of, I know you don't know Tristan, you don't know this case, <laughs> but again, you see this in your practice and you see this in your social circle what's the issue here? Like, I think he's simply not meant to be monogamous. And I wonder why can't he just admit this? And then they can come to an agreement instead of running into heartbreak and scandal. But so why do people sign up for monogamy if they still want to have sex with other people? Mm.
2: I think it goes back to that conversation about boundaries. One that I find a lot of people don't talk about their boundaries when they get into a relationship. They just assume that the other person knows. Um, and so they avoid a lot of really important conversations about what's okay in our relationship, what's not okay in our relationship. That's one piece of it. The other piece is, you know, I, I've, I've met so many people that kind of feel like monogamy is the next step. Like it's the next thing we should do that I should do. Oh, I'm this age. And so I should be, you know, committed. And I think a lot of people get into monogamy because they think that's what they're supposed to be doing versus like you said, what is it that I really want? Maybe I don't really want, you know, to be in a committed relationship. If this is what a committed relationship looks like. Um, But I do think people have, a real trouble of, of really being honest with themselves about what it is that they want out of relationships. Um, and then it goes back to the patterns, right? Like we just kind of, okay, maybe this time they really are going to get it because they really saw how they hurt me last time. So they really feel bad this time. And so this time we're going to just work it at it that much harder.
3: Uh, I, okay. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, um, I agree with everything Elisa said. Um, I do think we have an attachment to monogamy as far as mm-hmm. this is the way relationships are supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. And and the unknown of having possibly an open relationship or having a monogamous relationship um, is, is scary. And, and it's kind of like, I don't know how I would react if I see my partner, if I know that they're doing something or whatever. But I personally don't think that everyone that cheats should be in an open relationship or non-monogamous because I think that a lot of times the habit. That come with cheating is the lying, the you know the crossing boundaries, things like that. I don't know if being in an open relationship would necessarily help that because if you can't respect boundaries in this situation and be honest and have conversations about it, then how am I going to know that even if we are open, that you're not still going to cross my boundaries and lie and you know those things? Some right. of the habits that come with cheating don't go away just because you open up your relationship.
1: Ah, that's interesting. So if you are Let's forget the cheating. If you are lying, if you are being deceptive, if you're having difficulty being honest with yourself Mm -hmm. about what you want, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're in an open relationship or a monogamous one. So, how do you start? How do you overcome and break those bad habits?
3: I do think there's something to be said about, of course, I'm going to go back to that self work (laughs) and figuring Mm -hmm. out what you are seeking. Um, what, what what has you attached to that monogamous mindset of I'm supposed to do this but then I still struggle with it and understanding that there are so many more options for you as far as the type of relationship you want. Um, I've I've worked with a, a lot of couples that in all aspects of their relationship, when they're talking about their desires, their wants, um, what they seek, and that type of thing, it sounds like it should be non-monogamous. But when I bring it up, they're like, well, no, we want to be monogamous. And So it's kind of like that. Right. It's really understanding, like, what has led to that attachment to that, and then what does it mean to be non-monogamous, right? Because we all have these thoughts about... Um, these things that we don't experience. So I always say this when somebody's struggling with their sexuality, what does it mean to be a sexual woman? What does that look like for you? If you have a negative attachment to that, then you're never going to want to be a part of that as opposed to, um, it can be a positive thing and it can be helpful for our relationship. So understanding how you're, uh, what are your beliefs about those different lifestyles and, and how you can kind of let go of those beliefs to embrace what works for you.
2: Right. I think the other piece too, you know, both of us are marriage and family therapists. So, you know, we kind of, go back to that family of origin stuff yes. so what you know what were those first relationships what were the first relationships modeled to you so what was what was the relationship between your caretakers like what did you see you know how did they love one another what was your relationship with them like because that really sets this like gives us this template about how we really navigate through relationships I think that's one part and you know the other thing that kept coming up for me when i was listening to you is this idea of intimacy so into me you see and how comfortable are you really truly with intimacy knowing that intimacy is not just what you do sexually what you do physically right. but that emotional nakedness that you have in front of other people and i think that's the people that's the part that people are often really scared of like they know they want a closeness to somebody but intimacy where right. you get to see all the parts of me that's really scary for people, and especially if I've had some sort of whatever's in my early you know years or what have you, whatever messages were encoded into me and how i I view relationships
1: so if you look back at your history, whether it's your family of origin history or early relationships, and you see that maybe the attachment styles or the approach to relationships weren't modeled. As positively as you would like and I think most of us would say that there's some example of that Uh, where do you start to rewrite that script so that you can be vulnerable so that you can get more comfortable being really intimate like let's say you have a, a family background where you never talked about a thing where you just kind of swept all the negative emotions and positive maybe under the rug. How do you rewrite that script for yourself, for your partner, even for your kids? Where do you begin? Mm.
2: You know, I think the first part is that awareness is so big because, you know, building that awareness and really,
0: Figuring out when
2: I'm, now I'm doing what I'm doing, these destructive, you know, patterns that I have that awareness. But then the other piece is really, I think there's a lot of education that, um, we have to get as far as what healthy relationships look like, whether that's monogamous or an open relationship, whatever, but just what do healthy relationships look like? How does healthy communication, what does healthy communication look like? And one big, one thing I'm really big on, especially with my clients is so, what is it that you want? Like, how will you know that you're that you are in the relationship that you want? What will that look like? Because I think so often we're not even aware of what we really want. We we know we we know we want to feel better. We want a better relationship. But having goals and then comparing so that goal that you have of you know wanting to be in a relationship where you're really open and honest with one another is the way that you're talking to this person gonna get you closer to that goal or further from that goal? I think a lot of it is just awareness and education and really being accountable for what you're doing.
3: Yeah. And trusting your, your own intuition and your own self to know what works for you and what doesn't. We look so much for outside approval or outside, Mm -hmm. um, verification that this is the right way to go but really like does this feel good or does this feel bad that's the basics of it like before we get into in depth of all those other feelings is this a good feeling or is this a bad feeling if it's a bad feeling how mm-hmm. do I change that what do I need to do differently to create a, a better feeling than where I'm at right yeah. now
1: that's interesting it sounds like we all need to spend a considerable more uh, more time on introspection right yeah. on thinking about ourselves mm-hmm. And in a culture that's so performative, right, where everything we eat, people see on our Mm feet, everything we do, everything we achieve, even, you know, if you look at what Facebook asks us, I think they ask us, how are you feeling? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right? Mm -hmm. So it's such an outward Mm -hmm. performance of emotion that maybe, and I'm, I'm definitely not blaming social media, I'm a big fan of digital spaces. But I do think that in a performative culture, we need to take some some time to be more introspective and think about what we really want. Because um, you've hit the nail on the head there. Like just looking about, does this feel good? Does this feel bad? Is a great start.
0: Right, right,
1: right. So, so I, I think it's interesting when we think of a guy like Tristan. <laughs> Maybe Tristan needs you to, <laughs> like as therapist, not in yeah. any other way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, you know what oh, it must be very hard for celebrities to seek help because yeah. there's so much fear given that they mm-hmm. live their lives under the microscope mm-hmm. and pe- you know people say why do celebrities matter why are you talking about celebrities but the reality is they're real people with real right. feelings and they have right. these struggles that reflect our realities as well.
3: Right. I definitely think celebrities, um, like you said, they're human. And so they're going to have the same human interactions and the same, um, make similar mistakes and, and progress and all that type of stuff that we all do. It's just magnified because it is in front of the world. And a lot of times it seems like it, whatever those, um, milestones or whatever, they can be seem a little faster just because when you have certain access, things move a lot quicker than they would for us. But it's, it, we all go through similar situations.
1: Right. I, and uh, yeah, yeah, I just think their situation would be so exacerbated also by privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right. And perhaps some entitlement that comes with that. And I'm sure that intersects with, with gender, with race, obviously with in- income. They're all fairly rich, presumably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. So one one last thing before I let you go I'm thinking about celebrities and what they do on set or at work movie stars in particular we often hear these love stories about you know how they fall in love with someone they're working with closely on set maybe it's their love interest in a fictional production but we see this in our workplaces as well right we hear people joking about having a work wife or a work husband mm-hmm. so Forget being on set under the microscope and having to make out with Benjamin Bratt because I'm being paid my two million dollars to do so. Okay, for two million, okay. Um, but in real life, where I'm not making out with Benjamin Bratt and I'm not getting paid my two million bucks, uh, how do you set boundaries so that these relationships don't cross the line? Where do we begin to ensure that? our work relationships can be friendly and maybe even intimate in some way without interfering with whatever we've got going on at home.
3: I It's funny because I, I never really got the work husband and work wife, but that's because I've worked by myself most of the time, so I've never <laughs> worked in like a corporate situation but um, one of the things that I always talk about when it comes to having outside relationships, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having outside relationships of opposite, same, whatever you're attracted to, sex. But I think the, that you have to be, again, we're going back to that self-awareness, you have to be very aware about how you treat that relationship, right? So if I'm coming home and I'm telling my spouse all about my work spouse and and how they did this and how hilarious it was and and we're laughing and we're talking about it, that's one thing. But if I'm coming home and I'm no longer talking about that person, I feel like I'm keeping secrets. We now have mm-hmm. this um, these private moments that we don't share with anyone else. Those are the times when you have to start saying like, whoa, this may be crossing a boundary, even if we haven't necessarily crossed the physical boundary. When you mm-hmm. start to have those that secret type of relationship where you're keeping things from your spouse because it, it could look bad, or I just don't want to have a conversation about it, or whatever the case may be, you start making excuses as to why you're not sharing anymore. Um, or even when you start to get that excitement, when you get to see that person or when they call those are times when you need to really start to sit back and address like okay what's going on here because that right. that's that very 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 early stage before cheating happens when um, they're like oh it's not that big of a deal but you have to be very aware of those moments because that can lead to a lot more if you don't if you don't set it straight early
2: Right. I love what I love what Ebony has said in the past, kind of like, you know, when the when the pot is simmering Mm -hmm. before it's already spilled over is the time. And I think part of it is to also, you know, it's so common. It's so common that that's how relationships begin, because we're kind of working on this common goal. And so you're bonding with that person. You're spending this time together with them. And then to really be honest with what's going on in your relationship you know, are there parts of your relationship that that, that you're in that you're unsatisfied with? Because you're going to be vulnerable then. Those are the parts of your relationship that are going to be vulnerable to this outside sort of influence coming in. And so I think it is that honesty about where you are in your relationship. And that's why it's also important to have kind of what we talked about earlier. What are the boundaries of your relationship? So what, what, um, what rules do you have about people from the outside do we all meet together so this other person knows who they are um or what have you but that's why it's also so important to have really clear boundaries about what's going on in your relationship and clear again we go back to always comes back to self like what's going on with you because i think so many times we assign what we feel like in a Mm -hmm. certain relationship so how are you feeling so so something's different with this relationship with your work boo right so what is it so what is it what parts of you can you access in that relationship that maybe you haven't been able to access in a while or you don't get to access in your relationship
1: Mm. i appreciate that i appreciate that you've come at it from both sides right so what do you have in the workplace relationship what is going on in your home relationships, and of course, bringing it back to self, which seems to be the reset spot mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in any situation. You, you know, you have so many great insights, so many important nuggets of information. I can see why you're such a good therapist <laughs> and Aww. why your friends want to <laughs> use you as therapists. <laughs> You know, I think you should, I don't know if you're drinkers, you just make them pay the bar bill. That For me, that could cost more
3: than <laughs> a so,
1: I like me some expensive wine. Yeah.
3: yeah that, is, that is a good, good, good idea. <laughs> yes,
2: I like that. I like how you're thinking, Dr. Jess. Yes. Yeah.
1: So you have some courses coming up. Ebony, you have a, a relationship reset course for engaged and newly married couples. So we're going to make sure we... Plug that at ebonyharris.com. And Elisa, you're hosting a Why Couples Avoid Sex on September 27th. Where can people find info about that?
2: Yes, go to melaninandmentalhealth.com. I'm going to be, um, this is going to be helping clinicians, you know, because so often
1: therapists are
2: scared when sex shows up in the therapy room and they don't have to be. And so it's going to be on why couples avoid sex and how therapists can really help to bridge that gap between clients. Um, So yeah, com. you can get all the information there.
1: Okay, awesome. And you guys are also having a mixer in Houston on September 21st. What's that all about?
2: Hey, Lisa. (laughs) Yes, those are our, our happy hours. They are kind of like what where melanin and mental health was was kind of birthed from and so we just invite therapists to come out not just therapists mental health advocates anybody who is an advocate of mental health and so that could you could be a client um, but we just get together so you can meet the other therapists the other mental health advocates in town um, and just you know we like to say that therapy is dope and so that's what we kind of get together to celebrate and to connect with one another
1: Well, therapy is dope, and I've I've loved your work with melanin and mental health folks. Make sure you follow them on Instagram. Thanks so much for being with us today.
0: Thank you, Dr. Jess.
1: Have a great one. You too. I love chatting with these bright ladies. Always such interesting insights. And even though I'm admittedly not much of a pop culture junkie, I really do think there is considerable value in looking into and learning from celebrity relationships, if only because they live their lives in the spotlight. And we have so few opportunities to get a glimpse into other people's relationships. So we never really know what's going on, and we often measure our own relationships against the shiny surfaces of others, and as we all know, you can look perfectly happy on the outside and announce that you're breaking up the next day. And you can be the couple that argues at a dinner party over and over again, but still manages to make your relationship last a lifetime. So we never know what's going on, and I want to add a few thoughts to the Chloe and Tristan story. Now, I don't know how many times he has been caught cheating, but I've been thinking about their situation. And, you know, I'm not really commenting on Chloe and Tristan specifically, but really acknowledging that we all know a Chloe and a Tristan or someone who's in this scenario or we've been in their shoes ourselves. So first, I think Chloe knows more than she's letting on and I think that this private acceptance of a publicly condemned behavior is far more common than we want to admit. I know that many people are aware that their partner cheats and they privately accept this. Their outrage, however, is often a response to the public finding out, to other people finding out, as opposed to the cheating itself. And this really speaks to how we see monogamy. Monogamy is a performance for some people, not a personal imperative. And I think Elisa and Ebony spoke to this in in a different way by reminding us that we need to figure out what we want for ourselves. So if we're okay with something privately, why should that feeling change because of a public performance? Just something to think a little bit about. And the other question I often get about cheating, and I was interviewed about Chloe and Tristan the other day specifically. Uh, they want, people want to know, once a cheater, always a cheater. And I do not believe that all cheaters will reoffend. Now, Tristan's done it a bunch of times, so (laughs) chances are he might. But once a cheater does not always a cheater make you because you are defined by the sum of your actions, not by a brief snapshot in time. We all make mistakes, we all evolve, and cheating represents only one component of not only our rich personal history, but how we comport ourselves within a relationship. We can choose to change our behavior moving forward because sexual impulses are not uncontrollable. And I've probably said this in the past that I think people want to lump and categorize cheaters into their own little island. Like you are a cheater or you aren't a cheater. Well, in the moment, you can be one or the other, but you're not stuck in that label or stuck on that island For life. And if you have cheated or your partner has cheated, you can repair the relationship if, as Elisa and Ebony emphasized, you do the work on yourself first. And I think a key step is accepting wrongdoing and forsaking any rationalizations and excuses. I think this is a really important first step toward recovering and rebuilding. If you're still making excuses as to why you cheated, I think you'll do it again. But accepting responsibility is a good first step. So if you're in a relationship and you are dealing with cheating, and this is why we look at celebrity relationships because they reflect our reality as well. Cheating is quite common, even though we don't talk about it. If you're in a relationship and you want to recover and move on, I think the first step is that you get help. You may not need months of counseling or therapy, but set up at least one session with a professional who can set you on the right track and go in with an open mind. Don't just go in to check it off the list and say, I tried therapy. People say that to me often and I think, listen, you can make excuses or you can make change and You can't have it both ways. So if you don't prioritize getting help, then you're not really prioritizing the relationship. I know our guests today, Aliza and Ebony, do see some clients online depending on where you live. And there are thousands of mental health and relationship professionals in your state or province, and one of them is a fit for you. So make it a priority. It's financially a better investment than shoes or a latte every morning or a night out or a new outfit so that's the first step uh, the second which I touched on a moment again is you need to take responsibility you can't blame other people and you have to be honest with yourself are you really okay with only having sex with this one person for the rest of your life or for whatever given period of time you plan on being in this relationship if you are not if you don't want to be monogamous, step up and admit it. It is okay. Just don't sign a monogamous contract on paper or in blood or in theory if you're not up for it. And then I also think if you're part of taking responsibility is making an effort to understand why you cheated because this can help you to make the behavioral changes and cognitive, sh- cognitive shifts needed to make sure it doesn't happen again. So again, that goes back to doing the work on yourself. And if you've been cheated on, you've got to give yourself permission to really express what you feel, whether it's anger or grief, fear, abandonment, sadness, anguish. You get to speak up and be heard without excuses. your partner you get to tell them to step back and listen until you guys figure out what you need to move forward having said that if you want to stay in the relationship you have to move forward you have to make a plan and i think that plan needs to include some type of a timeline because there will come a time when you need to stop referring back to the cheating incident You can't use it as a weapon in future fights and arguments. You have permission to talk about it if it's making you feel a certain way. Uh, You have a right to ask for reassurance and rebuild in a way that works for you. But if you're using it as a weapon and holding it against them, you're holding back the relationship as much as the cheating itself. So three steps Maybe, you know, it's far more complex than just getting help and taking responsibility and looking at why you cheated and giving yourself permission and making a plan. But this is the start. And the bottom line is that whether you're dealing with cheating or some other challenge that will inevitably arise in your relationship, your relationship takes work. Life takes work on yourself. Relationships are not perfect for celebrities or for the rest of us. But when you invest the time and energy in yourself and in your relationship with your partner or with partners, the result really can be a lifetime of fulfillment. Um, You know, I feel like with all the work Brandon and I have put in, and he ditched me today. He's not here today. I know y'all like it better when he's here. I like it when he's here too, (laughs) but he had some work to do, you know, I feel like, the relationship's so good that I just, I never want life to end. It's just, life is so good. So do something today to invest in yourself or your relationship. Dig a little deeper. And I'm going to make a suggestion. suggestion. Why don't you ask one question of yourself to get started in this introspective process? So how about, what feeling? do I want more of? What feeling do you want more of? And and how can you get it? How can you ask for it? And how can you create it for yourself? So today, sitting here in this moment, if I were to ask myself what I want more of, uh, my answer comes to me pretty quickly. I want to feel more at ease, more relaxed, so that I can be more present when I'm with Brandon, and also just so in life I can sleep better because sleep is something I really struggle with. So I want to feel more at ease. And if I want to feel more at ease, I know that there are many things that hold me back from relaxing, but I know the big thing is that I have to work harder at eroding my desire to people please So, you know, I like to get specific. So I want to be more at ease. To be more at ease, I need to stop being obsessed with making everyone like me. And to be specific, if I can pick something to work on. um, Well, actually, I can think of something that happened last week. So something, there was something I didn't do last week. And I've been worrying all week about whether someone else is upset at me over this thing I didn't do. But overall, I feel good about not doing it, so I know I need to let it go. So this is a worrying, people-pleasing concern of mine or hot thought of mine that holds me back from being at ease and has been kind of distressing me, distressing me out for the last few days. So right now... I'm going to take that worry, the worry that this person in my life is mad at me for not doing this thing that I didn't want to do, I'm going to put that worry, that people-pleasing thought, in a balloon, it's a red balloon, in my mind, and I'm going to let it just float away, far, far away, until I can't see it anymore. Okay. Okay. So that's done. And if that thought comes back, I'm going to put it in another balloon. I have a whole package of balloons in my mind. Because you know it's not worth my energy. And if I want to be more at ease so that I can be more present with Brandon and so that I can sleep better, I have to let these little things go. And I have to develop the strategies myself to let them go. The old me would have called that person that I'm worried is mad at me or upset at me. And try to make sure they're not upset. But here's the thing. I'm not in control of how they feel. I stand behind my decision. So I'm starting with this one thing that I didn't do and that I've been worrying about for a few days. And I'm letting it go. And you don't have to use that specific strategy. That's just where that one question led me. What feeling do I want more of? How can I get it, ask for it, and create it for myself? So this is where it's led me. And I encourage you to do the same. Ask yourself that question. Figure out what you want to feel more of and pick one small thing you can do to start on that path right now. And it's kind of weird. Even just visualizing this unfounded worry floating away in a balloon, I almost feel my chest, the tension release a little bit. So small strategies can go a long way. And I encourage you to pick one thing right now, today. I've got your back, if only from afar. Our balloons will be floating out there. Don't worry, they're totally biodegradable because they're just in our imagination. I've got your back. So I hope you have a great week. And I hope that week includes more of what you want to feel on your own or with a partner. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with your friends. Go back and listen to some of the old ones. We talk about a range of topics. Last week was all about anal. Follow along on Instagram at sexwithdrjess and tune in every Friday for a new episode on sex, love, and relationships. Have a great one.